Welcome to the Unresolved Life Podcast. I'm Teresa Blaze, and this is another bonus God Met Me Here episode. And today I've got Miss Megan Ingram with us. Megan, welcome to Unresolved Life. Thank you for having me. Can you give the uh, audience an idea of who you are and kind of what, what you're about now? Currently, I am the COO of a nonprofit called The Healing Place. This is a new development. It's since May. I just resigned as the manager of our church coffee shop where I've served for several years. Right now, I'm just building the nonprofit, trying to get things rolling with that. It's a healing, it's called the Healing Place. It's for veterans. It's a retreat center for people that suffer with PTSD. That is really, really neat. I mean, that is, yeah, I can't tell you how much that is needed for uh, veterans and, and uh, we might want to do a separate podcast just on that because I can't tell you how many, how much that is needed. Let's kind of step back just so we can uh, uh, get some context. Did you grow up as a Christian or was your childhood a bit rocky? Um, can you kind of delve into that a little bit? Yes, I did grow up as a Christian. My mom always tried to keep us in church or exposed to church. And I grew up in New Orleans, Louisiana. I was born in New Orleans and I we lived in Chalmette, but everything we did was in New Orleans. And my dad suffered with an addiction to alcohol. There was a lot of family dynamics on my dad's side and my mom's side. Her parents were in and out of church her whole life. My uh, dad's parents got in church kind of later in life once their children were uh, a little older. And my dad had been an alcoholic since he was about 14 years old. Uh, his brother committed suicide when he, right after him and my mom got married. So that kind of caused a lot of damage, just the dynamics that they brought to their marriage from their past. And then my uncle's suicide kind of worsened things. And that was about five years before I was born. It was right after they got married. I'm the oldest of three from my mom and dad together. And then we have a half brother from my dad. Growing up, I was exposed to a lot with his addiction, just him coming home drunk. He was very, very abusive to my mom. One time I walked in on him about to kill my mom. He has tried to kill me one time. And there was just a lot of stuff just through the years that we dealt with. They finally divorced when I was about eight years old. And my sister was seven and my brother was not even one yet. We moved to Mississippi and lived with my mom's side of the family. We were all, there was three of her children, their husbands and their children and my grandmother all living in a two-bedroom house. We did that for, I don't even remember how long it was, several years, but it just kind of added some dynamics to, <laughs> some interesting dynamics to what was already the chaos of our life. And uh, we moved a lot when I was a kid, just here, there, and every, everywhere. But my, uh, my dad's parents really stepped in to his role and became a place of rest and retreat for me and my siblings. My mom's not really close to her side of the family. My grandfather, her dad died when he was, when we were all really young of cancer and her mom, she has 11 children. So she's not really close with the, there's like 30 something grandchildren. So, but my dad's parents, they, they really stepped in and became what we needed and because my mom was a single mom we struggled I, I look back now and I I didn't really understand just how bad we struggled until I became an adult and I 
treasure my mom and her tenacity and just her strength to raise three kids with nothing and and no help. Now that I look back, she, I, she didn't have much help aside from our grandparents on my dad's side. But it was rocky. And when I was 18, I, I was always very responsible. I felt in, like it was my duty to take charge when she left my dad and help her out with my brother and sister. And we suffered a lot of abuse. We wouldn't see my dad very much, but when we did see him, he made a point to be very verbally abusive to us and, and negative towards our mom and her family. And it was just not comfortable the few times that we would see him. And But my mom would send us to our grandparents every holiday, every birthday, every occasion that he should have been there to see us or whatever. Very rarely did he come. And when he did, he would be drunk or whatever. And then fast forward several years, Nick, my husband actually encouraged me. I, I had, when I met Nick and we got engaged, I hadn't spoken to my dad in a couple of years because the last conversation I had with him was very crude and very hateful. And I just decided that I didn't want that in my life. It hurt really bad. And so when I met Nick, he felt like it was important that I try to mend things because he didn't want that to affect our marriage. But he quickly learned that it's very, very difficult to have a calm and adult uh, conversation or relationship with my dad because he is very, very sick. He's just very sick. He carries a lot of hurt and bitterness. We tried for several years to have a relationship with him. And then once my grandparents died last year, this August 22nd was a year since my grandmother died. And then my grandfather died in March of this year. And so they were like our parents. And that was a really hard time for us. And I tried not to have expectations from my dad, but me and my sister were really close in age. We're like 14 months apart. And we, we took the role of caretaker for mainly her, but I tried to help as I could, but we took the role of caretaker for our grandparents in, in their last few months and even years. And so it was really hard for us. And we, we really thought that after they passed, that it would be a time for our family to draw closer together. And things just escalated. Like my dad became just out of control, verbally abusive, attacking me, attacking her, attacking my husband. And just the threats and the, th the things that come out of his mouth are stuff we don't even repeat. It's just terrible. That's just been a recurring theme through my life. And I kind of learned as a child, learned how to just survive and just like there's no time or no space for feeling what we need to feel right now. So let's just push it down and move on. And that's kind of what I, <laughs> that's what, that's just how life has been, you know, or, or was for a long time. So in light of all that, what was your God met me here story? How did God meet you in the midst of your dad being who he was and you're just learning to survive. There was a, a period of time around when I had my daughter. She's seven now. A little bit before that and a little bit after that, my dad went through a period of time where he got custody of my half-brother, and they were doing well. He would drink occasionally, but he, had, he wasn't drinking hard liquor or anything like that, and so he wasn't aggressive or abusive. 
and he was doing really good. And so we had a decent relationship. I didn't, we still didn't have a close relationship, but things were calm for several years. My husband and I were renovating a house. It took us um, from the time we found out we were expecting with our daughter about a month after we purchased the home. And it, we knew it was going to be like a couple of years of work. And so we had a couple of years of chaos, but everything was still fine. Like we moved a couple of times just trying to make things work until our house was finished. And then she was born and we moved into the house right after she turned two. So we worked on the house for about three years. And so things weren't bad. They were just kind of chaotic and we were just kind of surviving. Like I was used to, like everything was just chaos and I just worked through it. And then we moved into the home right after the 4th of July weekend and about the end of August. It was about the time when ISIS was a big concern. It was all over the news. And I don't, we didn't have cable or TV or anything because we were working on our home. So we just, that was our spare time. That's how we spent our spare time or or spent it with our daughter outside or whatever. So we never watched the news. And I would only occasionally see it if somebody posted something about it on social media or something. So I was kind of late to the game discovering you know, what was going on in the Middle East and all that. And one night my mother-in-law came over and was just talking about it. And she get, she filled us in and I felt something inside of me. Just I just got really sick and really dreadful. That night after she left, we went to bed. I was laying in bed and I couldn't go to sleep. And a cop car drove past our house. I could see it out of the window because the blinds were open. I don't know, something like snapped in my head. And I became very afraid that all of the threats that were being spit out at America and Christians and all that were were going to come to fruition and it was going to be soon. Like I, I just was consumed with fear out of nowhere. Like I was I would see stuff and it would kind of make me a little bit afraid, but then I would just move past it because I, I know, you know, we try not to put too much stock in what the media says because we try to just, you know, live off the word of God and what we know the end result is. And so um, I I did fine until that night and it was just like everything. And so I would, I wouldn't sleep. I couldn't eat. I, we were planning a trip to Disney world for my daughter's third birthday in March. And I told Nick, I was like, we need to cancel the trip because I don't think we'll even be here in March. And so it was really bad. Like I thought that any day that somebody was going to come and and just take us off or whatever, like I was expecting Holocaust or something. I was being irrational. Like part of me knew that, but it was something that I couldn't shake. Like I couldn't break free from it at all. One day my friend came over, our kids, we, they were going to a little Montessori preschool and they didn't have school on Friday, so we had our kids playing, and we were going to watch a, a movie that had just come out uh, about moms, and like Mom's Night Out, I think is what it was called, and it was really funny, and we were sitting there, and I was just fighting back nausea and choking back tears. Everything I did, I was like, well, what am I doing? We don't have time. What am I doing? I've wasted my life, and I would just sit and cry and hold my daughter and and. I get very emotional when I talk about this. I want to ask God, I'm like, why did you bless me with such a wonderful gift 
and like I, I never had a desire for children. Um, I didn't think that we'd be able to have children because we tried for a long time before we finally became pregnant with Chrislyn. And so I would just like, God, why did you give me this gift for everything to fall apart? And now everything's ending and we're all going to die. And now and I'm going to have to watch my child be ripped from me. And I just really struggled for about a month. And that day when we were sitting on uh, the couch and my friend she just kept looking over at me because I wouldn't respond to the whatever was funny on the movie. And she was like, look, I've been going to therapy and I really think that you could benefit from this. And I was like, no, no, no. I don't want anybody to know. Like it was very secret thing. My mom, my husband and her were the only people that knew that I was going through that because I felt like I had like schizophrenia or something. And I was so scared that like my mind, I was losing my mind. I was like, I don't want anybody else to know because the therapist was our church counselor. She said, nothing I've ever told him has, has anybody else ever found out about or he's very good. He's a licensed therapist. You need to go see him. He's so good. He can help you with this. And so finally I agreed and I met with him like that next Tuesday and I told him what was, had been going on. And the, the thing that stood out to him, which he told me when I was finished is like, I was saying, I've always been strong. I've always been brave. Like out of my family, I'm the one that just deals with stuff and nothing has ever bothered me before. I'm like, I've been through this and this and this and this and this. And I've just, of course, I've been upset, but I've like pushed it down or pushed it aside and like moved past it. He brought that up to me after I was done just kind of talking to him. And, and within two weeks, he helped me realize that I had suffered so much trauma in my childhood my whole family had my my mom my siblings and myself we had suffered so much trauma and that I took it upon myself to carry of course I was still a child and we had our times with my grandparents but even though nobody asked me I took it on myself that that was my role to be the protector and the defender and to not let things bother me so I could be strong for my mom and for my siblings so that somebody wasn't falling apart. And he said, now think, he said, think about your life right now. Like it's, you've got your dream home. Y'all are fin basically finished renovating it. You have a daughter, which you never thought that you'd have. You have a strong marriage and everything is going really well and you're falling apart. He said, because it's all the years of trauma, you're not in survival mode anymore. You finally, he said, you've never slowed down enough to really process everything that you've been through. And it just hit me like a train. I, it was, I mean, he, he didn't even have to convince me. I knew it. I felt it in my spirit that he was spot on with that observation. And I was like, you're so right. Like I, I've never even thought about that. And it is, it was true. Like we had always, as soon as we got married, we were in youth ministry and then we moved and we got back into another ministry with youth we had several teenagers that were displaced living with us I think at one time we had like 12 or 13 teenagers living with us before we had children and then we went from that into a home renovation and then an infant and then finally after five or six years of marriage our life had settled down and we were living like what you would call normal people <laughs> so it just kind of all hit me and I worked through the the extreme fear about everything going on in the world in about two weeks. And I still have my days where I 
I struggle with that fear. But a, another dynamic to that is the church that I was raised in was very uh, doomsday oriented. It was borderline cultish with the way that they just shoved it down our throats that one day that the world's going to end and they're going to come and take our children and they're going to kill us and we're going to have to choose between saving our family and and being killed or them being killed and and so that was just shoved down our throats my whole life and so that anytime anything went, goes bad I still have that fear flare up and that belief but I, I gained tools to work through that um, but after that I asked him if he would help me work out some other things that I was like just once I realized that I was having that strong of a reaction from my childhood I realized that it was probably connected to some of the other things that I had struggled with my whole life like extreme social anxiety and all that I spent six months in therapy just working through stuff like that and basically where it comes to God meeting me is in that therapy in those therapy sessions once a week on Tuesdays, I threw out all of the ideas and the learning that I had received all of my life about who God was. And every single time he would meet me as a father. And I didn't know what that was like. It was hard for me to picture him as a father because I didn't, you know, father is a bad word for me, you know. Each and every time, like the more I went, the more I could feel my perception of God changing and, and then him meeting me in the way that I needed him to meet me and teaching me through his presence that he was what I was learning him. You know, he was all the things that I was learning about him and not all the things that I had always learned about him. Just different times through my life and especially with this new adventure with the healing place, every little thing in my life. He has such a hand in it and that it's, and he makes it so obvious that there's no denying. And when we were approached about helping with this new ministry, and I won't get off into all the details because it's, it is, like you said, another story for another day. But this is just kind of the end of the journey, not really the end, but the end of that season of learning that he's that involved in my life. It's like the, the moment that I, I'm like, okay, God, I finally get it. I trust you. And I'm going to lean on you for everything was this with the healing place we were approached. And I was like kind of blown away and I felt really unqualified and I didn't understand this woman that approached us for help and barely knew us. She had, she knew about us because we've done a disaster recovery for our, our town. A tornado struck me and my husband kind of headed up that the recovery effort. And then, um, which was right at the end of my therapy which is another thing that's ironic. It was just like, as soon as I finished and my um, therapist released me to come on, only on an as-needed basis, the tornado hit and we kind of were flung into this ministry. And we did that for a year. And then, um, so she knew about that. My husband's really involved in Main Street revitalization and I helped him with that. And then I was running our church coffee shop. I felt like she just knew that we were, people that got things done and she wanted us to kind of help advocate for her or something. But then she brought us out to her farm and told us what she was thinking. And she said, God spoke to me and told me that you and Nick are the ones that are going to help me. And I was like, okay, well, we'll pray about it. And I really didn't think like, I was like, I've, my grandfather was a veteran, but he's 
the only veteran I really know, and I've never even thought about, like, you know, I don't know why. It's not like we have a burning. We love our veterans and we support our veterans, but uh, it's not like it keeps me up at night thinking about that, you know. I think about veterans probably more than your average person, you know. I was like, and I don't know, like, I don't see how we could be help other than just connecting her with people that could help her. I called my aunt and my mom and had them pray. One of my mom's sisters, she's an intercessor, and um, we had had conversations just that week before about some things that she felt in her spirit about me and Nick. And so I called her and I was like, look, this is what's happened. It's a little weird that it happened after all the conversations that we've had this week. So will you just help us pray for an answer? Like, we want to know that this isn't a distraction, that it's really something God's, an opportunity that God's opened the door for, you know. She agreed to pray, and that was a Sunday night. We we met with the lady on Saturday, Sunday night. I, it just stirred in my spirit all day, and I was like, you know what? I need to, I need to call my aunt and just have her pray because I just can't get away from this, and I don't want to dismiss it and miss an open door. I was kind of not believing because we we went we did the tornado. It was like four years ago, and then once we were done, it kind of just was there was nowhere to go or nothing to do. And we we knew we had found the kind of people that we're supposed to do life with and ministry with, but we didn't know how what that would look like. And so we just went back to life as usual, and we've struggled for the last four years. I just was kind of disbelieving that it had finally come to an end, you know, and that we had been moved into what God had prepared us for for all these years. We prayed Monday, Sunday night, Monday, and then Tuesday morning I was at the coffee shop. We had closed up. We we just did breakfast. So it was like 11 o'clock and we had closed at 1030. Normally I was gone by then. And this couple pulls up in a minivan. And the whole front of the church is glass in the coffee shop area. So we saw them walking up and I was like, oh, no, I've just got I just turned the machine off. I'm like, well, if they need coffee, we'll give it to them. I I thought that they might be coming to see the receptionist or something. So I just kind of hung out and they walked in and they're like, I won't go into the whole story. But basically, they said that they felt like God had led them there, but they weren't sure. And they got a phone number for somebody that they knew from like 20 years ago because they thought that that might be the reason that God had led them there. And so my mom was talking to them and long story short, they were ministers at a retreat center or veterans. Him and his wife were both, he was a veteran and she was, her husband died in service. And so they had met at the retreat and married each other. And they were both, they stayed to be ministers out in San Antonio and there was no reason at all for them to be in Mississippi. They just felt led. They were passing through and they felt led to get off of their course and come to Woodlawn, our church. And they're like, we'll just get a cup of coffee while we're here. But anyway, we through my mom questioning them and just trying to get to know them, which was odd that she was even there at the time because she works in Hattiesburg, which is like 45 minutes away from where our church is. And so, and she never comes to our town. So it was just weird that she was there that day and then one of my very good friends was there helping me that day and we were there nearly an hour later than because it was after 11 30 or it was after 11 so it was just weird how it all worked out that we were still there and and so through her questioning my mom questioning him he she found out that he was they were ministers 
They were basically doing what we were asked to consider doing. That's totally fine. It, it sounds to me like your God met me here story is a redemption of all that chaos from your childhood. And then he led you into, well, now that you've dealt with all the chaos, I want you to help the ones that deal with the chaos of war. So, so, so basically through, uh, through seeing this ministry couple, God confirmed to you that you were supposed to work at this healing center, correct? This man did not know me, had never been, didn't know anybody that I knew except for our pastor, but they hadn't spoken in 20 years. And um, he didn't even know our pastor was the pastor. He knew the last pastor that we had, which is our pastor's father. And so he was like, he said, once we kind of went back and forth for a few minutes and I, once I was over the initial shock of what had just happened, he was like, can I pray for you? And I was like, absolutely. Yes. So we need it. And so he prayed. And when, while he was praying, when he got done, he said, God spoke to me while I was praying and, and told me that you've been on a journey. And I get so emotional about this because he didn't know. He had no clue. He said, you've been on a journey to trust God as a father. He wants you to know that you, he's still with you and he's still leading you. And even though this new season that he's calling you into is going to be uncertain, he's, he's going to reveal the path after you take a step because he wants to lead you into deeper trust. And I just lost it because I was like, how did you even know? Like that has literally been the last five, six years of my life learning to trust him as a father and what that means and what that looks like and and for him to confirm that and then just say that God like God spoke to me through him and said this is going deeper you're not going to know the path until till your mid step now it's time for I've been leading you now it's time for you to walk out in faith and just keep your eyes on me and trust me and know that the path is going to unfold before you but you have to take the step first the guy said he was You've been called to this ministry since you were a child and everything that you've gone through in your life has prepared you for this. And I don't think that he was like, okay, I'm going to let her suffer her whole life so I can use it one day. I think he was, he saw the backgrounds that my parents came from and saw the, the baggage that they brought into their marriage and the things that we were going to, me and my siblings were going to go through. And he was like, okay, I'm going to use this one day to bring healing to other people. I don't feel like he allows things. I feel like the decisions that we make as humans and the free will that he gives us has repercussions, And but he had a plan from the beginning to use everything that he saw that I was going to go through. Amen. I have a friend, and one of the uh, statements that she often makes is evil is more evil than we really think. And yet, what I also hear in that, you know, if you really think about the story of Joseph and all the garbage that he went through, you know, sold into slavery, pretty much abandoned by his brothers, you know, accused of stuff he didn't do, so on and so forth, left into prison to rot. At the end of everything, what was the thing that he said? What you meant for evil, God turned for good. And that's kind of what I see coming out in your story. Yeah. Nick has compared me to Joseph since the day we met. And I'm like, I don't see it. <laughs> but now, like, I put a blog post 
about six months ago and I was like, I finally see, I finally see it, that God is using everything that was meant to destroy me and turning it around and, and allowing me to use it to help somebody who's going through the same thing or worse, you know? Amen. Well, in wrapping up, if someone is hearing this and they're going, man, I'm right in the thick of it. My life has been absolute chaos, you know, and as far as my relationship with God, yeah, okay, that's a, that's in shambles. How can I trust in a God that has allowed that to happen? Would you have anything to say to that person? I guess what helped me is realizing that while God is big and omnipresent and is controlling everything, he is still personable enough to sit next to you and and be very involved in the details of your life. And there were times when I would just have to go and sit on our front porch and be like, okay, I need to talk to you. I don't, I still don't see that you're my dad. I don't, I don't know what that looks like, but I'm just going to spill out what's going through my head right now into the air. (laughs) Reveal yourself to me through some solution to this or some answer or some way reveal yourself to me in this situation. And I know from experience that he will every time in the silliest ways, in the most profound ways, in the simplest of ways, some way he will do it even before you can believe and trust him that way. And I will just add to that, you know, unresolved started out of that kind of a situation. Unresolved started out of a need to find answers and a need to build trust in a God again. So, I mean, this is, this is, uh, this story really, really strikes home with me. So Megan, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your God met me here story. You're welcome. Thank you again for having me. These kind of stories are just the tip of the iceberg of what's in that book. And I am looking forward to uh, sharing the full book with you guys. Again, if you want to follow with what's going on, you can go to unresolved.life forward slash launch, and we will keep you updated as to what is going on. With that, I am Teresa Blaze. This is the Unresolved Life Podcast. We will speak again next time.